This episode of Stroke of Genius is sponsored by IBM. Let's expect more from technology. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com to learn more. Take a moment and picture an inventor in your mind. Do you see someone like Nikola Tesla? An introverted mastermind whose grand visions for the future often made it easier for him to get along with pigeons than humans. Or maybe you envision someone like Thomas Edison, a gray-haired businessman who expertly acquired and managed ideas for his own commercial success. Well, the inventor we're featuring here doesn't fit into any of these cliches. Lisa C. Cataluca is only 36 years old. She's a wife and a mother to four children, and she works for a huge company as a software engineer. Oh, and she also happens to be listed as an inventor on more than 400 patents. Welcome to Stroke of Genius, a show exploring inventions, the inventors behind them, and the role intellectual property plays in dreams becoming reality. The reason why the patent system exists is to share your ideas with other people, and so every invention is an opportunity for someone else to build on top of it. I'm your host, Andrea Madho. I'm a startup founder, a CEO, and co-inventor with Patent Pending Technology. In this episode, we're going to explore the life and work of one of the most prolific inventors of our modern era. Hi, I'm Lisa C. Cataluca. Lisa C. Cataluca appears to be an average modern professional. But when you ask Lisa about her work, the sense of normalcy you may feel about her life could quickly give way to shock. At the time of producing this podcast, Lisa C. Cataluca is the inventor or co-inventor on 434 granted patents the result of more than 650 patent applications. She's probably added a couple more patents by the time you hear this. For those keeping score at home, that's an average of about two patents successfully granted each month of her career. First, we had to know, how did she develop this wellspring of creativity? At her childhood home outside of Helena, Montana, Lisa developed her early love for imaginative activity. We didn't have a lot of neighbors nearby, so it was kind of nice because it got me thinking and being creative. Um, My sister and brother and I had to use our imaginations to entertain ourselves. Lisa and her siblings found endless ways to entertain themselves. They got muddy in the fields, they helped out in the family garden, and they collected stuffed animals and dolls. One of their favorite activities was writing and performing plays for their parents. Oh, the plays were about all sorts of stories. Um, usually it would be bringing to life our stuffed animals, so we'd give them a name. I had this little reindeer named Rodney, <laughs> Rodney the reindeer, so he had a lot of adventures. In fact, that's how I first fell in love with computers, was just typing on this old computer. Um, and I'd write these plays, and then my sister and I would act them out. Yeah, we had a family computer, an old Mac. We had um, had like a floppy disk. And the keyboard was one of those really old clicky keyboards. So I just loved the feeling of the keys in my, on my fingers and the sound it would make. I loved printing things off. And I think that's why I like typing so much because the stories that I'd print off was those papers that had the little holes and you could um, peel off the sides. <laughs> so I love like folding it over and then peeling off the extra pieces where it was fed through the printer. The tactile enjoyment that Lisa found while typing instructions for the characters in her plays was unknowingly her first practice as a software engineer. I just naturally was drawn to the storytelling aspect of being a software engineer, which really that's what I say software engineering is, is telling story through code and making the computer behave differently based on what you're typing. Aside from the lessons she was giving herself through writing plays, 
Lisa received a very normal education. The exceptional part of her upbringing is how competitive she became. Yeah, no, I wasn't really drawn just to science. I liked math, too. I liked anything with a competition side to it. I am very competitive as an adult. Right now, I have four small kids, and my boys will play games with me, and I'll like get really excited when I beat them. <laughs> like I'm a horrible mom, but I'm still competitive. Um, and I wanted them to realize that they can't win at everything, and it's okay if, if their mom beats them every now and then. Her natural competitiveness seems to be supported by ideas about life's endless possibilities. My parents raised me to know that I could do anything. There was never a question in my mind that only men could be engineers or only men could write code. Whenever I said I wanted to do something, my parents always encouraged me to go out and and try it. Everything I do in my life was a little over the top and prolific. Even as a kid, I remember making beaded necklaces and I didn't stop at making 10. You know, I kept going. I had like hundreds. I had like 300 beaded necklaces. And the same kind of thing happened when I started inventing. I just loved it that much. It was something I was passionate about and I was doing outside of work. It was all I was thinking about. And it wasn't very long before they just started adding up. Yeah, I've done quite a few. I've submitted about 700 patents through the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And of those, I think it's up to 450 that have been issued. So quite a few. And then, of course, I've had ones that didn't go through within IBM. So probably submitted over a thousand ideas. Bringing this many patents into the world requires an advanced strategy. You know, I think that's another reason why I'm a prolific inventor is because I'm not very patient in the patent process. You gotta be a little patient. So I usually submit one and let it go and then distract myself with other ideas and not worry about the one. We asked her, how does she find the time? That's a question all of us are always trying to figure out is how do you make more time? It's one of those things where if it's important enough to you, you'll make time for it, right? So um, I wanted to write a children's book. I made time for it. I gave myself a plan. I said, I'm going to do this by this date. And now I have a couple children's books. And the same kind of thing with coming up with a patent, becoming a pro se inventor, becoming an inventor at all. It just takes some time and setting that aside and making a priority. We had to ask if it's tough to say goodbye to her idea so often. Part of being prolific is definitely you can say goodbye, right? So it's it's when somebody doesn't like one of my inventions, it's not like they're calling my baby ugly. I'm not that attached to it. It's like, okay, on to the next one. I, I'm really good at taking that feedback and helping to build off of it to come up with even better ideas the next time. And for the record, inventing isn't in her job description. It's something she makes time for outside of her normal professional responsibilities. This enormous outpouring of intellectual property has earned Lisa many honors and distinctions. In 2016, she was named one of the most influential women in IoT. In 2017, she was inducted into the Women of Technology Hall of Fame. She's an IBM Master Inventor, which is an honorary title granted to the exemplary employees of IBM. In her still-evolving career, she's already earned the title of the most prolific female inventor in IBM history. But it's a title that she's ready to upgrade. If female wasn't thrown into most prolific female inventor, then I wouldn't be the most prolific inventor, right? I got to get there. So uh, there's, I think, the man with the most prolific inventor right now at IBM has um, probably 200 more patents than me. So it's not undoable. I can get there. I can be the most prolific inventor. It just needs a little more time. Okay, so you may be wondering, someone who has several hundred patents, what are the actual inventions? 
Well, Lisa has mostly invented solutions to problems that she has faced in her role as a software engineer through several different divisions across her tenure with IBM. She has patented solutions for problems in cloud computing, social media connectivity, browser displays, tagging of data across networks, web security, and many dozens of inventions around a major focus of her career's work, IoT. IoT, which is a fairly new term, stands for the Internet of Things. Essentially, the Internet of Things is the network and relationship that our physical objects have with computers and software programs. For example, when your home automatically adjusts the temperature to your preferences and schedule, that's with IoT. When DHL knows exactly where your package is as it travels through its distribution network, they do that using IoT. So the value for me around IoT is just making people's lives easier, making us making it easier for us to do our jobs. And that goes really well with AI. Connecting everyday objects to the internet is just the first step. Physical things don't just need to be connected. They need smart software engineering to give these new connections meaning. You're seeing a push not just around connected devices, but how do we make sense of the data? And how do we gather those insights to where we are doing better at our regular jobs that we're doing? A great example of unexpected use of IoT comes from Lisa's colleagues at IBM South Africa. IBM teamed up with South African telecom company MTN and researchers from Wageningen University in the Netherlands to help deter rhino poaching in southern Africa. The new supergroup convened on the game reserve in the Limpopo province of South Africa and used their communication networks and IoT software to collect some surprising data. And they're like, how do we stop these rhinos from being killed? More rhinos were being killed every day than were being born, so they were on the path to being extinct. So they worked with some researchers in a local university, and they recognized that there was a pattern in the way that prey animals were responding. So they would kind of move around differently if there was a lion versus there was, um, you know, a poacher or a tourist. And so what they were able to do was put these IoT collars on each of the prey animals, and they were able to predict what that behavior was and say that there's a poacher there before the poacher even found the rhino. So it's a use case that has nothing to do with technology normally, but instead we're able to solve a real-life problem that's just helping humans and the rest of the world interact better. Yes, IoT is getting used for adding convenience in seemingly trivial ways. But it's clear that IoT can be a revolutionary tool for almost any industry that deals in the physical world. IoT has to be the bridge between a digital and physical thing because if we don't have them connected and we're not able to share the data or pull the data off of that physical thing, then we'll never get it into a state where it's in that digital area where we can make sense of the data. Just this year, Lisa has deepened her focus with IoT solutions by working on something called Digital Twin. Essentially, Digital Twin is a digital copy of the elements and dynamics of a physical object. Having a digital twin of an important object means that we can understand and test outcomes digitally, and therefore much more safely and efficiently. But when you think about IoT, industrial IoT, those use cases, a digital twin can be really complicated, especially when you've got these big devices and assets that have a bunch of IoT sensors on them, in which case those readings are sent back to the digital twin and it allows you to keep or mimic that digital version with what the physical asset is, is like and what it's doing. 
So think about a big jet engine, right? So it's really hard to do simulations or do what-if analysis to guess what's going to happen to this jet engine if you change conditions. And you could take that physical jet engine and do a bunch of tests on it and see what happens when you do it. Or you can take a digital version of that jet engine and use data to pretend <laughs> to guess what's going to happen. And then based on what happens, you can guess how that regular, that physical jet engine is going to perform under those same conditions. Lisa clearly has a grasp on a wide range of futuristic technologies and the creative output they require. But how does she manage to get hundreds of her ideas through the patent process? During season one of Stroke of Genius, we learned that IP strategy can take lots of time and resources. We've heard from inventors who've made big investments in legal departments and even inventors who've spent years learning how to be strategic in their patent applications. So it's no wonder that many inventors are intimidated by intellectual property law. That's why we're especially surprised to learn that Lisa Seacat DeLuca seems to be able to generate exponentially more patents than most. How exactly is she able to get this many patents applied for and granted at such a prolific rate? In short, it's thanks to a group called the International Business Machines Corporation, otherwise known as IBM. IBM is a company that from the very beginning has existed as a strategic collection of futuristic solutions. Since their inception in 1911, they've developed and sold cutting-edge technologies to major businesses and governments around the world. Along the way, they've focused on the development of intellectual property as an essential asset. In 2018, they were granted 9,100 U.S. patents. And they've led all American-based corporations for most patents granted every year for the past 26 years. As it stands now, they currently own at least 110,000 patents. We wanted to learn how Lisa C. Cataluca fits into the structure of an enormous global company like IBM and how they develop this massive amount of intellectual property together. The way IBM is so successful in innovation is just the fact that we've got some great people that work there, right? And we're not afraid to throw out ideas. It's kind of like being a little kid, right? They are usually the best inventors because they do throw out ideas without any fear of what other people are going to say. When you get people with all these diverse backgrounds and pull them together on one team, then you're bound to come up with new ideas just because of all of their unique perspectives on the problem. IBM also allows their talent to self-organize for invention brainstorming on company time. We have brainstorming groups all over at IBM. I'm, there isn't like one specific group that's called the brainstorming group of inventors. We really break into smaller groups. I, in fact, I try to keep my brainstorming groups to about three people, three, four max. And the reason being that if you have a smaller group of people, everyone's accountable. And so everyone's contributing to the idea. What might be the benefit of these disparate clusters of creative minds? Outside perspective from someone who is not an expert in the field. But a lot of people, especially new time inventors, they struggle with patenting around what they do, mostly because they are experts in this space. And when they think about it, they say, you know, this is obvious. Anybody in this area would think that this is um, how it works today. And that's just not the case. When you're really close to something, it's hard to identify what might be a patent. So sometimes when you invent in brainstorming groups and pull people from different parts of the business who aren't as familiar with the technology, and you say, this is the problem I faced today when I was working on this problem space, then they'll throw solutions out there that you hadn't thought of. While it's clear that IBM has created great environments for their talented employees to thrive and play in, let's be clear. IBM is a serious business. Their revenue in 2018 was about 
billion. And when it comes to finding and developing new IP amongst their ranks, IBM has devised an internal system whose output no other company is close to matching. It's a system that they call the Invention Review Board. And you've got about 15 minutes to present your idea, so it's kind of fun. It's got that adrenaline, fast-paced, kind of the competitive side I've mentioned liking as a kid. And you've got five minutes to talk about your idea, present it, and then they ask you a bunch of questions. And you respond back with how you're different from some of the prior art that they're finding, some existing solutions out there. And then they give you a vote right on the spot. Maybe that's why I like inventing so much, because I am competitive. And during the Invention Review Board process, you get a rating from the board. So a closed rating means they found prior art in the area, or it's not necessarily something IBM wants to protect. A published rating means it's an okay idea, but it's not worthy yet of a patent, and we want to protect our rights and other people's rights to use the idea, so we're going to make it public knowledge. And then a search means we think it's a good idea, and we're going to make it onto that next phase. So I definitely am competitive, at least with myself, knowing that I have to get search ratings. Lisa and IBM are a great match. IBM's systematic approach perfectly complements Lisa's endless stream of new inventions. She comes up with the ideas, and IBM's legal army handled the administrative side of things. But let's be clear about how IBM's assistance works. While Lisa and her colleagues at IBM are listed as the inventors, IBM is always listed as the assignee or owner. But Lisa C. Kataluka wanted more. She wanted to tell an invention story that didn't cast IBM at all. That's when she began to look into something called pro se patent filing. Pro se in Latin means for oneself. In our legal context, it means to represent yourself without an attorney. When I became a master inventor at IBM, I was like, I don't know if I'm really a master inventor. It just feels like a, a black box. I come up with this awesome idea. I work with an attorney. They do all the hard work and write it up, and then they submit it through the, the patent review board process. But I wanted to know what it was really like to have a call with an examiner and go through that whole step. So I wrote an invention myself as a pro se inventor, and it was uh, probably the most fun I've had inventing. Lisa's first idea for a patent to file independently came from an experience at a sporting event in the San Francisco Bay Area. A friend who already had tickets to an Oakland A's baseball game convinced Lisa to tag along, even though she'd be seated in a different section of the stadium. So we go to the A's game, and um, she's, you know, got awesome seats, and I'm up in the, you know, nosebleeds, and she's texting me. She's like, come sit down, come move down. And I'm like, uh, okay, let me know when I can sneak back past the ticket people. This gave Lisa an invention idea. She wondered about buying micro tickets for a baseball game. Different quality seats for different parts of the game, all trackable by the Internet of Things, all subject to real-time pricing models controlled by software. I knew that there was ways to buy a ticket once you were already at the game, like you could upgrade your ticket and move to another part of the stadium. Um, but what I hadn't seen was an actual ticket that was broken up based on the natural breaking points of the game. So if you think about baseball, maybe it's, you know, nine innings, every inning you could sit in a new seat. Why not? Right. It's a new ticket. Um, and I hadn't seen that anywhere. So I did some research and sure enough, I couldn't find it. So I decided to write it up myself and, um, even I wanted to start a business about it, so it's called Split Ticks. For Lisa, her logical next step was to file a patent around her idea. She decided that this would be her chance to file pro se and really learn every step of the process of being granted a patent. By the time her first self-authored patent was finished, it had 24 citations, it had historic context for spectator-based entertainment, and it had 10 drawings breaking down things like exactly which part of a ticket should be changeable, the various sections of stadiums, 
how the mobile app would look, and even flowcharts of the logic that determines the real-time price of different sporting experiences. The patent was rejected. And I made like silly mistakes, like I forgot to put a period at the end of one of my claims. And so I corrected all of those issues that I made and submitted it again. And I said, hey, you know, here's my questions. And the guy's like, well, I can't answer specific questions about your application, but you could call your examiner on the phone. I was like, what? <laughs> I can call my examiner? It's like, yeah, the phone number is right there. I'm like, okay. So I picked up the phone and um, called him out. I mean, examiners are just regular people like everybody else. So, you know, I was really nervous at first. The guy actually thought that I was a, an attorney. He's like, you did a, such a great job writing it up. <laughs> I thought you were an attorney, which made me feel really good about it. But at the same time, like maybe it would have been, you know, it would have been easier if he knew I was a first time inventor. But he was super nice. He helped me understand what I did wrong. And um, I submitted all my changes and it got through. That pen's my favorite for sure, <laughs> mostly because of the experience and everything I learned from it. I, I feel like it really transitioned me from being an IBM master inventor to an, a master inventor. I feel like I've mastered inventing at this point. <laughs> now she's an advocate for the process. In fact, I had a neighbor that right across the street. He saw that I was an inventor. He's like, I have to talk to you. I've got this great idea for a new business, and I want to know if anything I'm doing is patentable. And so I gave him the same advice that I give people at IBM. And I, I like to tell people that aren't part of IBM about that pro se inventor process and how you can do it yourself. And people are intimidated. They're like, I can't do it. I need an attorney to write it up. And I think anyone would recommend that you at least run it by an attorney to see if you're on the right track. But it's really not that hard if you go and read other inventions and see, you'll notice a pattern that really the way that you fill out that patent form is similar from one idea to the next. But the pro se filing process actually marked the beginning of a much different challenge, the challenge of starting up a business. Split ticks didn't make a huge splash. You know, I came with this awesome idea. I wrote up a website. I had it functioning, working because I'm the software engineer and no one came and used it. I even stood out at the Giants games and handed out some flyers to try to get people to download this mobile app that I made. And I didn't get very many users. But Lisa wasn't deterred. In fact, she saw this failure as an opportunity to strengthen a gap in her education. So I found this program through the University of Texas for technology commercialization. It's their um, MSTC program through their business school. And I signed up and it was a you know executive program. So I was able to do it while I worked full time at IBM. And it was really all about how to bring your idea to market. And through that program, I learned a lot about, you know, reaching out to people, picking up the phone, going on LinkedIn and researching people that are in your field and reaching out saying, hey, can I tell you about my idea? And that was really fun, just that whole validation of whether or not you had something that was worth pursuing. Lisa ended up pitching split ticks to dozens of pro sports teams, but in the end, she couldn't get any of them to become her first client. However, she did earn a new improvement in perspective. I definitely think about the business side of every idea and every software that I'm writing, right? Like you have to be solving a client need, client pain points, and understand from that aspect whether or not it's going to be a good idea. Because anyone can come up with a new patent idea, but whether or not it gets used and in the field, that's what really validates whether you've got something great. Part of the reason why I love to invent around my day job is because I can 
tell that they're going back into product, right? I know they're going to be used. They're not just going to sit on the shelf somewhere. They're part of the product that I'm helping to bring to market through IBM. So it's more than just something that's, you know, hey, look at what I invented. It's, it's actually making a difference in our products. You might think that an obsessive competitive inventor of futuristic technologies might be a recluse who can barely keep their life outside of the lab together. Well, Lisa doesn't fit into those sorts of cliches. In fact, she's the happy mother to two sets of twins. We found out we were pregnant with the boys and, um, you know, had them. And I was like, oh, I want to try for a girl. <laughs> so we uh, had it, another set of twins. So it was crazy because we weren't expecting to have two sets of twins. And I just can't imagine life any different. She and her husband, Steve, much like many working parents, have figured out their own way to make the life they want. And I've got a supportive husband. So between the two of us, if I have to travel for work, he's really good at watching the kids. And um, we've got an au pair, so we're not afraid to ask for help. And then right now, all the kids are out of the house. They're going to school, kindergarten and preschool. So during the day, it's quiet. I can get my work done. But at night, I focus on the family. And it looks like the Aluka invention dynasty may just be beginning. Yeah, being a mom's has been really fun because um, I'm trying to get them thinking like an inventor already, right? So when they come with a new idea, it's not just, oh, you came with a new idea. It's you just came up with an invention. You just invented something. I have a cute video of my kids when they were little. Um, They're like, Mom, I invented a vacuum. And they've got this hose. And they're just kind of wiggling around in the air. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have the heart to tell them that the vacuum's been around for a while. But it's just that way of thinking, you know, coming up with something new and being proud of it that I'm trying to instill in my kids. Lisa doesn't just keep all of her expertise to herself and her kids. She's very passionate about sharing what she's learned. She's the author of two children's books, The Internet of Mysterious Things and A Robot Story, Learn to Count to Ten in Binary. I'm here as a mom and I see all these memorize how to count from zero to ten books. Why not have one that counts from zero to ten in binary? So that was the inspiration behind that idea. And I thought it'd be fun to share it back with my kids, that passion for technology. Lisa also keeps a steady schedule of public speaking engagements. Her talks are often aimed at inspiring the younger generation to know that they can do anything they want. And it sounds like Lisa still has her work cut out for her on that front. This morning when I was speaking to the kindergarten class, I said, who wants to be a software engineer? And I saw a lot of hands go up and I didn't see a lot of the girls' hands go up. These are kindergartners. And so I said, um, who thinks that girls can be um, computer scientists? And all the girls raised their hand. Most of the girls raised their hand, but some of the boys didn't. And I was like, you boys better get your hands up right now because girls can do anything. So I really think it starts at home in how we are talking to our, our own children and how schools are positioning boys and girls and giving them equal opportunity. But no matter what the environment, Lisa always remembers to be herself and to show her audiences that inventors can come in all forms. Whenever I'm speaking at a conference, I always, you know, put on makeup and I wear a dress and I wear my cowboy boots and like I'm proud to be a woman too. And I, I think that's even another stage of being on stage and showing women that they can do it too. I don't want it to, I want to represent myself, but also females in general and show that it's okay if you're girly too. Girls can be nerdy without having to have those male characteristics. Thanks to inventors like Lisa C. DeLuca, our future generations will continue to have newer and more complex role models to emulate. Role models who can remind us that a child's tendency for storytelling might be the sign of a future software engineer. 
Lisa also reminds us that filing a patent doesn't have to mean endless months of legal bills. You can file on your own if you take the time to figure it out. Before we finish talking, our producer Jackie had to ask one more question. Now, talking about numbers, you are on track to hold a record-breaking number of patents. Is that motivating to you? Are the stats something that you're conscious of? I am not aware. <laughs> I know I have a lot, and I know there's a wiki page for most prolific inventors, but I, I don't know where I fall. It's really hard to compare females versus males, too, right, to see how many are female inventors versus male inventors. But... Yeah, I, that's absolutely motivating. I'm ready to break some records. Right. I think we have it somewhere. We saw that you're halfway to Edison, that in your lifetime, you're going to surpass Edison for number of inventions. That'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> Let's do it. Thank you to our guest, Lisa C. Cataluca, and our episode sponsor, IBM. You can learn more about Lisa and see some of the patents featured in today's episode by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Andrea Madho, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Stroke of Genius. This podcast is produced by Atwill Media on behalf of Intellectual Property Owners Education Foundation. Please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcasts.